Psalm 18 is a song of a grateful heart. A song of a grateful heart. David is rejoicing because God has caused him to triumph over his enemies. Now the superscription gives us the specific reference for the writing of Psalm 18. It states, quote, A psalm of David. So we know who the author is. The servant of the Lord. Now here's David identifying himself as the servant, as the vassal of the Lord. Even though he's king, he sees himself as servant of Yahweh, who spoke to the Lord, who spoke to Yahweh the words of this song. So we know that he wrote this song to the Lord. In the day that the Lord, that Yahweh, delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now the parallel passage that this refers to is 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. And if we were to take the time, we're not going to read through 2 Samuel 22 because we have it here in Psalm 18. But if you were to take a look at verse 1 of 2 Samuel 22, it's identical to the superscription here in Psalm 18. David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, when we look at the background here, 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 18, is set between the account of David's Philistine wars, chapter 21, verses 15 to 22, and the list of heroes who fought with David in chapter 23, verses 8 to 39. This is a song or a, a poem that celebrates the providence of God in delivering him from all his enemies. And Psalm 18 or 2 Samuel 22, basically is David's contemplation of all that Yahweh has done. And David records how he was delivered by God's mercy. And he embraces the entirety of God's work and of both judgment and redemption. He judged God, uh, his enemies and he redeemed David. Now again, just going through the background here on 2 Samuel 22, uh, we have the David, the king, acknowledging the greatness and glory of the Lord. Uh, we're going to see here in verses 2 through 4 that he refers to him as his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his shield, his horn of salvation, his stronghold, his refuge, his savior. And basically all of these descriptions of the Lord are, are especially appropriate in light of the background. That is, that this psalm was being written in the background of a battlefield. Uh, they're, they're fighting, there's conflict, and there's victory. From verse 5 through 20 of uh, 2 Samuel 22, David uh, basically lists out the exploits of the Lord. And he shows God's providential arrangements uh, in the created realm, which ultimately redeemed David and granted him the victory. He saw God's hand in respect to his own circumstance. He describes with hyperbole as being akin to death. In other words, you know, my situation is so bad, you know, I, I feel like I'm going through a period of death. 
And so he felt his death was imminent. He was desperate. And only the mercy of God in response to his prayer could bring David salvation from heaven. And so these exploits of the Lord that we're going to look at here in Psalm 18 are in the arena of the whole earth. We're going to look at all kinds of different uh, examples from nature that God uses. We're going to see how God uses nature to accomplish his purpose. In doing so, we're going to see that David understood that it is the Lord who controls the earth. It's his anger that shakes the earth. Uh, God's sovereignty goes even further. Uh, as we go through this psalm, we're going to see that God is sovereign even over the false pagan Canaanite gods. Of course, they're pagan, they don't exist. But it's interesting here because he refers to Yahweh as the rider of the clouds, which is, is unique because the Canaanites depicted Baal as the rider on the clouds. But indeed, David declares that it is Yahweh who is enthroned in the heavens. And uh, it's it, when we hear the lightning and the thunder, uh, we are to be reminded of God's sovereign power over this world. And so we're going, as we go through Psalm 18, uh, we're going to break this psalm into six parts. Now there's 50 verses here. We're not going to tackle all 50 verses in one setting. We're going to divide this psalm in half. We're going to look at the first half of this psalm. Then we're going to, next time, look at the second half of this psalm. But again, just for continuity's sake, let me give you the six parts of Psalm 18. We begin with a resolution in verses 1 through 3. A resolution. Then in verses 4 through 6, we have, a ret we have retrospect. We have a retrospect in verse 4 through 6. In verses 7 through 19, we have a rescue. A rescue in verses 7 through 19. And then, beginning in verse 20 to 29, we have a redress. Then we go to verse 30 to 45 for recapitulation. And then verses 46 through 40, we're going to close with reassurance. So we have resolution, we have retrospect, rescue, redress, recapitulation, and finally, reassurance. Now, as I said, there's 50 verses. We're not tackling all 50 verses. In this devotional, we're going to look at the first 19 verses. We're going to deal with the resolution. We're going to deal with the retrospect. We're going to deal with the rescue. Then in the next devotional from Psalm 18, we're going to deal with the second half of this psalm. So let's begin with verse 1, and let's, let's notice David's resolution. He begins with, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from mine enemies. Now notice we have a very intimate statement that opens this psalm. I love you, O Lord, my strength. This is a man after God's own heart. This is a man with wholehearted commitment to God. You know, when we think about we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our might, with all our strength. And that's what David's saying here. With every ounce of my being, I love you, Lord. Now, do you love God with all your strength? Do you love God with every fiber of your being? 
You want to be a person after God's own heart? That's what it requires. Wholehearted commitment. David loved God. And the assertion here about David's strength really is the thesis of this psalm. Because David says, I'm weak. I need help. He really needed God's strength to avenge, to take care of his enemies, to deliver him, to secure his kingdom, to ensure his throne. And in the verses that follow, we're going to see the strength of God fully exposed. And so we really need to consider here as we work through this psalm, the question of whether or not we are depending on God's strength. Or are we trying to do it on our own? Again, you, Lord, are my strength. So when he loved God with all his strength, he needed God's grace to enable him to love God that way because he saw God as the source of his strength. Is God the source of your strength? When you accomplish something, do you pat yourself on the back and say how wonderful you are and how great you are? Or is your immediate thought to praise God for what he has done? Anything that you and I accomplish, we accomplish it solely by his strength. Now David goes on to describe God in verses 2 through 3. And notice the confession here he makes of God's character. He is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strength, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Notice the pronoun my. This is a man with a relationship with God. He's not a rock, he's not a fortress, he's not a deliverer, he's not a strength or a shield or the horn of a salvation or a stronghold. He's mine. Can you say the same? Can you say that God is your rock? Is he your foundation? Is he your fortress? Is he a place where you can go to wait out the storms of life? Is he your deliverer? Has he redeemed you? Or are you still trying to dig yourself up out of your own pit? Is he your strength? Is he your shield? Who's protecting you? You depending on your, your wit, your charm, your personality? I got news for you. Wit, charm, personality and going to defend you from the attacks of the wicked one. Is he the horn of your salvation? Or are you trying to commend yourself to God based on your own works? Is he your stronghold? All of these metaphors, by the way, have a military context because it is God who protects in the midst of the battle. It is God who secures in the midst of the battle. It is God who gives victory in the battle. And he extends his kingdom against his enemies through, in this case, David. And he's extending his kingdom against his enemies today through the church. Remember, he promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is a spiritual warfare going on today. There is a spiritual battlefield today. Again, Psalm 18 so, so very much parallels the exact condition, the situation that we ourselves as, the, as believers in Christ, as the body of Christ, as the church, find ourselves in. David was engaged in warfare. We're engaged in warfare. But the difference between David and us today is this. He loved God wholeheartedly. 
I don't believe we love God enough because our allegiance is divided to too many other things. We're too, we're too fickle today. Again, David says, standing there on the battlefield, surrounded by his enemies, you are my rock, my fortress, etc., etc. He knows God and he counts on God when everything is stacked against him. When the, when the chips are down, David's got a grateful heart. Why? Because God's going to deliver him. And he calls on God, and he knows when he calls on God, something's going to happen. He's going to be saved or delivered from his enemies. And you know, my friends, John 16, 24, Jesus promised that when we call upon his name, something's going to happen. It says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that what? Your joy might be full. Now, when you think back to James chapter 1, we're told that we're going to go through trials, but to count it all joy. How am I supposed to be joyful in the midst of trials? As I need wisdom from God to see the trial from his perspective. And when I see it from his perspective, I will have joy. Well, here we're told our joy will be full. We'll have full joy if we ask. And what did James tell us in James chapter 1? Ask God for wisdom and he will give it. Whatever battle you're facing, believer, you can be joyful in that battle because God will fight the battle if you let him. God will deliver you from the battle if you let him. God will protect you in the battle if you let him. Question, will you let him? You say you love the Lord. Listen, proof's in the pudding, as they say. You don't love the Lord enough if when you come up against a trial, a tribulation, a testing, whatever it may be, some battle, some difficulty in life, you don't love God enough if your first response is to go out and try to fix it on your own. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty. We need to love God more. Our resolution should be, Lord, I'm going to strive to love you more today than yesterday. Notice the retrospect in verse 4 through 6. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surround me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple. My cry for help before him came into his ears. Now David's primary concern here is obviously with death. He's experiencing the pangs of death. He's experiencing the sorrows of Sheol, the snares of death. That phrase, torrents of ungodliness, literally means the floods of Belial, or the place of the dead. Uh, the verb form here means to swallow down. The noun form of torrents of ungodliness, uh, we could uh, translate that as the swallower or the abyss of ungodliness. In other words, David is using all of these descriptive terms for death and the afterlife. And for David, the threat of death was a real one because he was surrounded by his enemies. So, believer, what do you do when death presses upon you? Do you cower in fear? Do you escape into denial? Do you resign yourself to the inevitable? 
Here's David's response in distress. He prayed. Now again, how much do you love the Lord? Because the uh, degree of love we have for God, the degree of our wholehearted commitment is demonstrated by what is our initial response to the greatest fear out there, death. If your immediate response is to cower, if your immediate response is to resigning the inevitable, if your immediate response is to, uh, you know, deny it's happening, then guess what? You don't love God enough. When our love for God is where it needs to be, our initial response is going to be to pray, to cry out to God, our Savior. Again, we've seen David knows who God is. He's Yahweh. He knows where God is to be found in his temple. And that's a reference to heaven. And he knows how to address him. He cries out to his ears. I cry, Lord, hear my voice. May my cry come before your ears. Our God is not a deaf idol. He hears the cry of his people. Now finally, verses 7 through 19. We're going to look at David's rescue here. The earth shook and quaked. The foundation of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds of skies. From the brightness before him passed his thick cloud, hailstone and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them, lightning flashes in abundance, in abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared. The foundation of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Here's God's answer. And it's dramatic and it's overwhelming. Earthquake, smoke, devouring fire, most likely volcanic or meteor shower perhaps. Darkness, more than likely an eclipse. Wind, thick clouds, that would be thunderstorms. Hailstone, coal of fire, coals of fire, uh, thunder, lightnings, channels of the sea. Uh, that uncover the foundation of the world, resulting in the parting of waters. All of these natural forces are really supernatural instruments in the hand of God. You know, that's why they call them acts of God. They may not realize what they're admitting to when they say that, but that's why these forces of nature are supernatural. They're acts of God. Next time there's an earthquake, and again, I don't pray for any type of natural disaster, but next time that there's an earthquake or a volcanic eruption or a, or a horrible storm, what have you, yes, you know, it's sad and it's difficult to see the effects of these things. But stop for a moment and consider, that's the power of God on display. And many times, nature rages, according to Psalm 18, because God is angry. His wrath, verse 7, is burning within him. 
There's smoke coming from his nostrils and fire from his mouth. He's bowing the heavens and spreading them apart. He's coming down riding on a cherub. And yet at the same time, he's veiled in darkness in a thick cloud. He sends hailstones and coals of fire. He addresses his enemies with awesome thunder of his voice. Shoots lightning bolts from the divine darkness like arrows against his foe. And finally the river floods and the springs of the earth break forth to carry everything away in judgment. My friends, nature is not autonomous, nor is nature neutral. It is held in the mighty hand of God. And through nature, he exerts his wrath on David's behalf and on ours. And I'm afraid that too often we find it difficult to see God's judgment in nature today. We try to come up with every other excuse or every other reason for why this happened or that happened. You know, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. Wait a minute, all of those things may be true from a scientific degree, but pause for a moment and say, but who's ultimately behind it? Who made the science work in such a way? God. And it's his judgment being unleashed in the world. And while we see this judgment for David's enemies, there is redemption for David. God reached down in the midst of his wrath and summoned David into his presence. He lifted him from many waters of his divine wrath and delivered David from his strong enemy, delivered David from those who hated him. You know, think about it. David's foes were too strong for him, but they're not too strong from God. In David's day of calamity, God was there. And God gave him more than his presence. He granted him deliverance. The Lord brought David into a broad place where he no longer had to fear his enemies. David experienced here a twofold deliverance. He was pulled from the waters of God's wrath and he was rescued from his enemies. And my friends, we today have the same deliverance in Christ. In Christ, we have been removed from God's wrath. And we have been rescued from the power of the evil one, Satan himself, who rules this age. And so Christian, as we close this psalm, I want you to think about, do you love God? Is your heart grateful? See, if you love God, your heart's going to be grateful. Yeah, it's easy to love God in paradise. It's easy to love God when things are easy. But how about when the going gets tough? How about when you're in the midst of that calamity or you're in the midst of that difficult situation or that struggle or that uh, trial that that you're dealing with? How about then? How much do you love God? Because those who love God with wholehearted commitment are going to find themselves with a heart of gratefulness. So I challenge you to examine yourself. Get your focus on God. Sit down and make a list of who God is to you or what God is to you. So that the next time you're facing a calamity, the next time you're surrounded by enemies... Pull that list out. Reflect on that. And let it renew your strength. And then with your focus now on God, cry out in prayer, Lord, hear me. 
He'll deliver you. He'll deliver you not just from his wrath, but he'll pour out his wrath on your enemies, but he'll also deliver you from, his enemy, from your enemies. Father God, we thank and praise you that, Lord, you do not leave us nor forsake us. Father, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle, with forces that we can't even begin to grasp and understand. So many times, Lord, they take on appearances of, of things around us. So many times they even are the people that surround us. So often not, Father, they're used as pawns in the devil's campaign against your people. So, Father, we pray, we cry out to you, who, the one who is our rock, our strength, our deliverer, our fortress, our shield. We cry out to you, God, deliver us. Father, we want to confess how much we love you. And so, Lord, we, we must first confess we don't love you enough. And it's shown because, Lord, we don't have a wholehearted commitment. Father, there's too many things that have our attention. There's too many other things we're committed to before we're committed to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to forsake those things. I pray that you'd help us to put those things aside, toss off those weights that uh, hold us down so that, Father, we could give you all the love that you desire to have from us. Thank you, Father, at the moment of our salvation, you delivered us from your wrath and you delivered us from the kingdom of Satan. Father, while we yet go through this earth and while we still have many battles to deal with even now and more to go through in the days ahead, Lord, deliver us. We pray in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.